Hey everyone, this is Stefan Miller, and welcome to The Forever Student. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for making the time uh, to be here and be the best version of yourself. Uh, The last few guests have all been um, extremely amazing. They've been in so many different sectors. They've been in different industries. They've added tremendous value. And our next guest is no different. She's a teacher a public speaker, and a person who has recently realized her passion as not just an educator, but as someone who wants to implement methods and teachings of compassion, empathy, and mindfulness in classrooms all across the country. She's one of the kindest people I've met, and we're so happy to have her on the Forever Student Show today. Ashley Green, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. It's lovely to be here. We're honestly so happy to have you. And I think you're, you're such a kind-hearted person. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you, just for listeners to understand kind of who you are, is mm-hmm. how did you become a teacher and why did you become a teacher? Okay, so it seems very long time ago now. <laughs> it's but, been 11 years? Uh, yeah, so I think I've been teaching like 13 years in total now, wow. 12, 13. Um, Originally, when I went to university, I actually studied legal and financial studies, but it was only like maybe four months in and I just thought, I know that this isn't for me, you know, and I'd had always thought about being a teacher, but my dad was very much like, no, come on, try something else, go and be a lawyer and, you know, but I just, I remember sitting in a lecture one day and thinking, this isn't for me, you know, so I stopped, worked in an office for a while and then went to uni to be a teacher. And the real reason I wanted to do that, as you do when you're younger, you think you're going to save the world and, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed. But for me, I just thought, you know, in the words of Whitney, like children are the future, but it's just about making a difference. If you can, you know, with love, be around children and support them to grow, not just academically, but, you know, in every sense of the word. So that's a real privilege. Um, So, of course, I have a very different view of being a teacher now because I'm older myself and experienced more things. Um, But at the core, that's what's always there is supporting children to grow and, you know, become a flourishing human in the world. And and when it comes to um, what you're currently doing, Mm -hmm. what I kind of want to get into is, is, so I went to school here. I went to high school here. um, and, And as we talked about offline, there's quite a few things sort of missing in the school system, not just here, but in, mm-hmm. in a lot of places around the world. Could you kind of talk into what you think is missing and then also maybe what you're currently doing about that? Okay. Um, schools, you know, I think just now all the exam systems and all the things that happen in school are all geared to, you know, getting a job in certain industries and, you know, the economy and everything like that. Teachers become teachers for the love of children usually, you know, because it's a hard job and there's so much research that talks about burnout and, you know, teachers leaving within the first five years um, of their practice because nobody prepared them for these things but so many teachers are still there because at the core they care about you know helping children and making a difference so what's missing I think in education is the space to provide you know well-being education for kids it's been predominantly about academics for such a long time with the humans, the teachers around trying their best to care for the children holistically. So of course there's programmes like PSHE programmes and different things in place to support the children, um, you know, the growth of the whole child. But I really do feel like, you know, academics sometimes come first for a lot of institutions um, and organisations. So I think Dubai especially and in the UAE it's definitely going in the right direction you just need to look at the KHDA and know that they hold well-being really dear um, but I think we've got a long way to go because teacher well-being is also hugely mm-hmm. important you can't pour from an empty cup so I think until we have proper training for teachers who can then support themselves emotionally um, you know and care for their well-being properly um, in the job then again that'll filter down to the children 
Yeah. Instead of, you know, you always automatically go to the kids first. What can I do for the children? What can I do to make their experience even better? And quite often teachers forget about themselves. So I think that could be something that is missing, but it's coming. But it just needs a lot of love and care and support. And when you're talking about, let's start with the kids. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about well-being programs, mm -hmm. what does that entail exactly? Well, there's lots of different things happening now. So in the UAE and Dubai in particular, there's fantastic organisations coming over, like the Institute of Positive Education that's come from Geelong Grammar in Australia. Gilda Scarf, a lady that runs Positive Action UK, she does programmes here. Um, Dr Louise Lambert, she's the Middle East um, Positive Psychology Journal editor. She's got her own programme, Character Strengths. So there are all these people starting to come out and, you know, offer programmes that have got curricula, you know, you can build, build them into the curriculum and teachers can teach them. Um, but again, I think there's something to be said for growing from the inside out. So our school... I'm really lucky that our director, our new director, is um, really focused on well-being. So with me and two other girls that work in the school, one in secondary and one in the other primary, we've been given the freedom to kind of think about what we want it to look like in our school. So I think schools really need to think about, first, who's going to be the people that support this to grow? Mm. Um, what training can they be given from you know, organisations in Dubai and I think it needs to come top down. Leaders need to know how important this is. Um, so I think the fact that there are people we can turn to here for training and things, um, each school can tailor their wellbeing programme to their context. So I think it's something that you can have a real freedom with, but it can't just be a tick the box. Yeah. Um, and in which way do you think that the children... Uh, would benefit from these sort of programs. I think that when we spoke before, we were like, you know, I wish that we had this growing up and, mm. and I'd have my own reasons and, and mm -hmm. you'd have your own reasons. But uh, from, from a holistic general standpoint, what is the advantage for children having access to these sort of programs or exercises or whatever they may yeah. be? Yeah, um, there's like an abundance of things. So mm. I'm going to try and pick the best <laughs> ones. Um, but I guess, you know, there's words like resilience, grit, mental toughness, um, stress reduction, reduction of anxiety and older, you know, depression, things like this. So as a human being, we experience these things as adults, but children are no different, you know. So I think... Um, like we talked about before, if imagine a child that has started a positive education program or wellbeing curriculum right from the age of four or five and they go through a, a system or a curriculum like that until they're 18, imagine the tools that that adult will have to deal with things, not just through that period of time, but going further on into life as it comes. And I just think, you know, there's Aside from children that go through, there's research to talk about kids that go through academic um, progress when they do a wellbeing curriculum at the same time that academics improve. Mm. There's evidence to show that academics aside, imagine a being at the heart, yeah. you know, that's been through something, a programme like this and has so many tools to draw on when you need them most. And equally, when there's joyful things happen in your life you know being able to stop and mindfully be aware of this is true joy and savor in that moment I mean how often do we ever really think about that joy can be fleeting but the more that you practice um, mindfulness particularly you can really savor that moment and even just hearing people talk about those things you feel happy about it yourself so imagine a classroom full of kids talking about these things yeah. I just think there's just so many massive things that children can benefit from and i think it's such a good point when you said uh, imagine if a child has access to these things uh, that their one their performance in the classroom improves mm -hmm. outside of you know how they then deal with life and how they then deal with the people around them and with themselves mm -hmm. i think that's also very true for adults like mm -hmm. what i've realized is whenever i'm in a place of peace or happiness or joy uh, for sort of a sustained period of time, everything else gets better, mm -hmm. right? Like I, I perform better at work. I'm better mm -hmm. with my friends. I'm better with my family. Um, I'm more present, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And when I was, I mean, th th all these concepts, right, of mindfulness and and being present and uh, and gratitude and all these kind of things only came to me 
you know, in my 20s. Mm-hmm. It, it, when I was 11, 12 years old, it, it didn't even exist. I didn't even know what those things meant. Mm-hmm. So I think to your point, yeah, it's super, super important for, for this to start early in a child's life. Mm-hmm. Um, now, to get a bit more personal, when it comes from uh, from your standpoint, um, in your past, we mentioned we we kind of spoke about the fact that you know you didn't have this growing up. Mm-hmm. What did that cause? The lack of that. Mm. So it's funny now when I think back to being really young, you know, because I was quite an anxious child and mm. quiet. You know, one of the ones in the classroom you probably would overlook that just sits below the radar because they're a bit too nervous to speak out in case I get it wrong or things like that. Um, and as that grew and I became older um you know it was a real big thing for me to move to Dubai everybody thought I was gonna (laughs) come back like a few weeks later because of who I was Mm. you know timid and shy and um we laugh the girls from uni say you know look at you know you've traveled to China and India by yourself but when we were in our 20s they laugh and say you wouldn't even cross the road yourself without (laughs) hanging on to one of them (laughs) and it was true and that did kind of follow me here you know and there was a few points, particularly in one relationship that I had, you know, and I just, on reflection, he probably could have been doing with some support, mental health support. Mm. And at the time it was, you know, really toxic and it wasn't healthy for either of us. And again, that followed me through to the next relationship. So I got to a real point where, you know, I did visit some facilities here, LifeWorks in Dubai, um, for a period of time and spoke to therapists there and, you know, I got to a point I thought you are going to have to support your own mental health somehow. You're going to need to be you know, resilient and, and you're going to... from others. Yeah, well, that exactly yourself. that's it. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I'd never done before because when I left my mum and dad and brother, mm. you know, they were always on the phone when I was here. But then I was ultimately by myself, you know, I had to find a way. So I've always been quite spiritual Um and here, I think about eight years ago, I met Zareen, who's a gong meditation um, guru. She's a wonderful woman. Um, so I started with meditation that way. But as the pain deepened, I needed more. So eventually I stumbled across mindfulness. Like you say, I was maybe 25, 26 before I'd ever heard the word. Mm. Um, and then now I'd say meditation and mindfulness are like an old friend. You know, they're just always near Um, through good times through bad times and mindfulness and meditation for me is just you know at the core of things that you do in life and from that that grew even more you know obviously I've been through all this time of being a teacher I had a real light bulb moment like why aren't we teaching children these things you know why are we not providing children with these tools that don't cost anything you know when understood and taught properly and you know, explained in child speak, there is no reason why children can't access these things. You know, to take a minute and breathe when you've got a crazy mind, what's, I don't see the difficulty in teaching children that, you know. Um, so then it kind of grew to, um, that's when I went to China with the KHDA and did a talk over there as part of their team um, about mindfulness. And I met someone there, a head teacher of another school here who was starting a master's in positive psychology and coaching. So then tick, 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 tick. Yeah. thought, right, okay, that's next. That's what I'm going to do. And I've got one more year left of that. But it's just kind of snowballed and got bigger and bigger. And the more that I learn, the more that I can offer the children and staff and people in my community. So, And, and that's exactly when you, when you mentioned you can't give from an empty cup. Mm. Like once you realized what all these things were doing for you, mm-hmm. you were like, this should be transferred or taught yeah. to the children as well, mm-hmm. as well as to uh, to the teachers or I'm sure those around you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's incredible. And now you're studying uh, positive psychology. Mm-hmm. So what is it exactly that you can you define what positive psychology is and yeah. then... Um, what you're planning on doing with your degree as well. Okay. Positive psychology, it's one of those things I feel like, first of all, it's so important to clear up the kind of misconception of positive psychology. A lot of people think automatically it's just about being happy. Mm -hmm. I'm going to learn how to be happy and that's it, you know. And it's not. Positive psychology 
originally grew as a branch of traditional psychology. So if you look at the psychology, there's like a DSM manual and it's a book that has all the things, disorders and can diagnose you with different things. And psychology can, um, it's solution focused, you know, find a way to make you well again. Whereas positive psychology is adaptable and can be used for anyone. So it's about human flourishing individually and collectively. And the late um, Professor Christopher Peterson, um, who was partly, you know, at the beginning of positive psychology, along with Professor Martin Seligman, talks about how other people matter. That's how he defines it, other people matter. So when I think about the definition of positive psychology, it is about flourishing, multidimensional flourishing, individually, and then supporting others around you to do the same. Wow. So yeah, it's... Gorgeous. <laughs> and then and then from what you've learned, mm. are there specific things that you've learned that you would now like to implement into your classroom? Yeah, well, character strengths is the main thing. Yeah, could you because I love this concept. Could you explain yeah. to the listeners what that is exactly? So they say that character strengths is like the beating heart of positive psychology. Um Martin Seligman and uh, Professor Christopher Peterson that I mentioned, they started a project. Those two and 55 other like world-known scientists did like a three-year project. They wanted to make a manual that was the opposite of this, well, an extension of this one, but all the things that are right with you. So rather than looking through and, you know, finding disorders and conditions and they wanted to think, well, we want to look at all the good mm. things that are inside humans. So they studied people all over the world, Maasai warriors, you know, went to modern societies and studied literature all the way back to Aristotle times, you know, all the virtue literature and everything. And they managed to condense it all into one classification, um, which is the via, meaning in Latin, the way, the pathway, the way to flourish in. So they've got these 24 character strengths. They all come under six virtue character, um, six virtue virtues mm. and the 24 come under that so they're categorized but they're just words that you would know anyway like leadership love kindness curiosity um and lots of people ask me you know what about this word or that word and they obviously know it much better than me the books can explain it better than me but all of those words fall under these 24 character strengths and the best thing about them is it's a language that children can speak. You, yeah. you know, what child do you speak? Love. What does love mean? You know, and if they're three, they can tell you. And if they're 33, they can tell you. So this is, for me, the easiest thing to begin positive psychology or positive education with the children. It's character strengths. And then what is kind of the exercise that you would have the children do with those character strengths? Because mm. I... I think we spoke about this briefly and I, and I love this concept, but could you just mm -hmm. talk about that a little more as well? Yeah, so um, first of all, when I'd love to tell you about the fact that we started with the staff okay. oh, before we great. started with the children. Um, so in total across our three schools, there's like 350 staff. So on the very first day of this term, before all the kids came back, um, on the last hour of the day, the director, the new director, did his speech and introduced himself and his vision for the year and then passed this off to me, um, Rosamond, who is the wellbeing person in the secondary, and Neve, who's the wellbeing person in the primary. And the three of us together spoke to all the staff about character strengths and their wellbeing. So all the staff have done the character strength survey, um, which is free online. One person takes a survey every 15 seconds. The data they've collected is massive and it's a non-profit company. Wow. So it's just gold. You know, there's so much you can learn from there. So we started with the staff. So we always think about their well-being. And we had to say to them, we know you're already thinking about the kids, but I want you to think about strengths in your life first. So now what we've done, we had a big character strength launch day. All the children um, got a little cardboard light bulb and they wrote about their strengths that, you know, they were seeing the cards that had the language on them. Um, we showed them the website, showed them different resources. So they chose the strength that was most important to them. Drew a little picture on the light bulb. We tied it onto the gates at the front so the parents could see. Um, and then we did other activities, like some made character strength videos, some made character strength superheroes that will turn into stickers and things like that. So... It was quite a lovely launch day. Dr. Abdullah also visited and did an assembly for the secondary kids, which was gorgeous, you know, hearing him talk about well-being and character strengths and 
so eloquently the way he does, but he always tells lovely stories, which the kids can relate to. Um, so character strength now is becoming a language across all subjects for the children. So if they go to PE, the PE teachers use the same language that I would use and the music teacher. So um, across all three skills, it's definitely gaining momentum. And, and I just, think it gives children a great understanding of words that are potentially um, not within their vocabulary mm -hmm, yet. And then mm -hmm. understanding that at a young age in order to then use that in their daily life or yeah. whatever it may be. But I think... Um, do they use it with each other as well? Yeah, so something that we always do with the staff, we did this as well, and then again with the children, it's um, strength spotting. So Ryan Nemiak, who is the education director of VIA, um, I was lucky enough to meet him in Australia this year, took myself off to the conference about positive psychology. And he always talks about if you see strengths in others, but S-E-A, see, explain and appreciate. So, you know, watching the children and the teachers um, and all the staff in the school spot a strength in someone else and tell them about it. And you see adults almost sometimes become like children because you're not used to that. You know, yeah. you give your friends compliments, oh, you look lovely, you know, and you talk about these things. But actually turning around to someone and saying, I see a real strength of leadership in you and you really supported me with this situation and thank you for that. You know, and you, it takes you back because you think, gosh, you know, and it's such a lovely thing to feel. If you think about how much we praise the children mm. and, you know, how good it is for their well-being, you're no different as an adult, you know, and it's just it's such a valuable thing to gift someone that and say, you know, I see this real strength in you. So it's lovely to watch the children do it because I teach five and six-year-olds or this year actually six and they're turning seven. Um, but hearing them use that language with each other, you know, to me, that's what makes the world go round. That's love in that's a nutshell. <laughs> and so especially because, like, while you were speaking, I was like, do I do this at all? Mm. Besides the people that are, you know, my close friends or my family, Mm -hmm. And the answer is no. Like, I, I don't just go up to someone because I recognize a strength and say, hey, listen, person mm -hmm. X, mm -hmm. I admire you for being, you know, mm -hmm. strong in this uh, in this field or whatever it may be mm -hmm. uh, and explaining to them why I feel that way. But I think that, that it should be extended towards um, adults or th mm -hmm. through corporate or whatever it yeah. is. Like, have you taught about how that might go or like if there's a way to do so or if that's already happening to an yeah, extent I think you know at first because it's new it's it can be something that you're not sure about at first you know I don't we never want someone to feel like, oh here's Ashley again like forcing us to tell those nice <laughs> things about each other but it's like you know even subtly you know it can be as simple as like what we did um, on Character Strength Day was actually have little cards. Someone saw a strength in you and they just had to fill it in and post it in a box. So I went around and delivered it to everyone, you know, to take that element away initially of you might feel a bit uncomfortable at first. So, yeah. Um, but then I actually find that when you do something like in a session, when everybody's there and they have the cards, it just really causes like light and laughter you know at first you might automatically be a bit like oh gosh I'm not such a bit like forced fun <laughs> but yeah. actually I love to watch people tell each other about their strengths because people's faces light up you know and it doesn't always need to be so obvious it can be really subtle you know and that's one of the joys I suppose of it is you can turn strength to any situation in life and the other person might not really know about it. You know, you can tell them. But also when you think about strengths, using them yourself. For example, I've been really focusing on this week, the strength of love mm. and using it in times where I might not feel love inside. You know, for example, a parent or something, you know, it's, it could be a staff member or a family member, a difficult conversation and you might feel angry or cross, but... I've been thinking about, okay, so how can you use love in this situation? Yeah. And it almost takes the the bite out, you know, then you can see it from a different perspective. So I think people spotting strengths in each other is definitely something else that's growing within our school. And 
it's making a place or a workplace or a classroom psychologically safe to do so. You know, everyone's on the same page and it's okay to do this. Mm. And as humans, sometimes we've got that negativity bias, you know, which has saved us from tigers and all those things before. But it's almost making it equally fine to your positivity bias, you know, let that have a space as well. And it's fine to tell someone you see a strength in them. And actually that person will probably really appreciate that. Yeah. How would you like what? So one of the, the purposes behind this show is to provide people with sort of steps that they can take today in order mm -hmm. to become the best version of themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, what I would like to advise people is what can they do today Mm -hmm. in order to take the first step towards telling someone their character strength. Because I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. One of the things I feel with this is that, one, it requires getting over fear, potentially. Mm -hmm. And two, it's basically being vulnerable, mm -hmm. right? Because you're, open, you're essentially opening up, even though it's for the best possible reason. Mm -hmm. You're opening up to someone and you're saying, hey, listen, and you're giving them probably the biggest compliment you've given anyone. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you suggest that people kind of get past that? So first of all, I would always say, you know, use the strengths yourself first for yourself and only yourself. So take the survey, find out the order of your 24 strengths. So they say that the top five signature strengths are most um, related to who you are at the core. Um, you've got all of the strengths, but these five, you know, would be the ones that are most like you and how you might see yourself. So then I would say, have a look at those, you know, every day. And there's research to talk about someone that uses their top strength in a new way every day for a week increases their own well-being. Um, so if you think about even one top strength and do that, do it yourself every day, think about a different way to use it, then work on one, you know, that's maybe further down the list and think about, okay, how can I apply this to my life? There's some brilliant books about like strength-based parenting, things like that, Lee Waters, Professor Lee Waters. Um, so then I would say after you work on them yourself, just think about, okay, what would be a way to start using strengths with my family? How can I talk to my family about strengths? Let me pick my best friend. I'm going to talk to them about strengths. They might not have heard about it before. You know, it doesn't need to be a massive, big, um, what's the word, you know, dramatic yeah. affair. It can just be a really subtle, have you heard about the VIA character strengths? Why don't you do the survey and we'll chat about it? You know, so I would say if somebody wants to start spotting strengths in each other, start spotting them in yourself first. And then in time, you'll probably become more confident with the language and you'll be feel more confident about speaking with others about their strengths. And then naturally, I would imagine you can start spotting them in other people. Where can people take the survey that you're talking about? Um, the website, www.viacharacter.org. Okay. Um, and like I say, it's free. Um, there's also other um, parts of it where you can pay for a more detailed report. Um, but really, the main 24 character strengths, and the more that you delve into the website, there is an abundance of resources and papers and lovely things that you can read. Um, I would say do the survey there first. There's also two new books that um, Ryan Nemec's published and they're for general public because initially the first books are quite sciencey, you know, mm. like positive psychology academic yeah. books, which are also brilliant. Um, but the stress workbook, I can't remember the name exactly. And then his other one is the power of character strengths. So they're just off the shelf books that you can pick up and it's so nice to read it in such a way that it's so applicable applicable yeah, to your so own relatable. life yeah and um he's even got a book about positive psychology at the movies so there's a whole list of movies that are based on the character strength or the character strengths are in them so predominantly mm. that if you watch that movie thinking about you know whatever strength it is you look at it in a different perspective so there's just strengths and everything but if you read some of those books or visit the website even you know it opens up a whole new world that people might not know is there definitely gonna do that mm. So back to positive psychology. So mm -hmm. I took positive psychology in college. Oh, cool. Yeah, I minored in psychology. Oh, wow. Which was, uh, which was super fun. So I think I took about like seven courses Amazing. overall in psychology. 
uh, each would be like whatever three four months, mm. and uh, and it was the whole range that we that we've just discussed. It was behavioral psychology, it was learning about the different disorders, and mm-hmm. um, but then my last course was positive psychology, and it was relatively new at the time mm-hmm. because this was eight years ago. Wow. Um, and every class, I remember this because this this course changed my life completely. Every class we started off with a twenty minute meditation. Yeah. And uh, it was a guided meditation by our teacher, uh, who I became, became extremely close to, uh, amazing guy. And he would essentially run us through a 20-minute meditation each wow. time. And the more I started doing this, the more I started realizing the benefits of meditation. Because mm-hmm. immediately after, you're more present during the class. You're more engaged. You're kinder to people. Mm-hmm. You had more energy, etc., etc., etc. So... My two questions to you are, one, what role does meditation play in your life? Mm -hmm. And two, what I've seen around the world is that they've already started implementing meditation in classrooms as well. Is this something that you're thinking about? And if so, what kind of benefit do you think it would give to your students? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, like now we're talking about, we've talked about language uh, and we've talked about knowledge of emotions and these kind of things. But like, I think this would be a really cool uh, sort of practice as well mm-hmm. for them to learn. So I guess question one is, what does it play? How does it play in your life? And mm-hmm. question two is for the children as well. Okay, so um, I'd say like before, you know, when I even hear the word meditation, you know that feeling you get in your heart when you think about like your grandma or something. It's just like <laughs> a real glowy feeling and yeah. love, you know. And for me, that's what meditation is. And it did start in a, you know, the darker periods of life. That's where I first came across meditation. And I feel like it's almost like a warm hug, you know, everything's going to be fine. So obviously as you grow and you adapt and things change in your life, um, I practiced different types of meditation. I did the mindfulness-based stress reduction course before. Um, You know, and that can be quite hardcore. It's like an hour-long body scan and you have to be completely present. And you find out some of these things are tough. You know, it's not always easy to do. And I think that one is very... Mm. It's more scientific-based as well. Yeah. Because it's called MBRS, right? Uh MBSR, yeah. MBSR. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I've heard about that. And I know it's quite... Yeah, it is. And, you know, that was John Kabat-Zinn that first did that in the 70s. And then it went to prisons and, you know, hospitals and, you know, the research talks about the benefits of mindfulness. So although now I would say I'd probably practice mindfulness daily, but more in the way of like mindful living. So, you know, something like driving to work or in the shower, brushing my teeth, you know, I tend to do some mindfulness practice that way. I do meditate every day, but I kind of experiment with different things. Like I really like the Calm app. Um, I use that at times with a different series, you know. Um, But quite often I'll play just something. I really love guided visualisation. So I'll meditate um, just using videos on YouTube. There are times when um, I'll sit and just have calm music in the background and you know I've got a nice yoga chair that my friend bought me it's like a wooden yoga hand and it's I can just fit in it and no more and it you know it keeps you present because you're sitting with a straight spine and these things like that and just maybe a 10 minute stillness you know so meditation is something that I really love and find value in um for sure and coming to your other question thinking about the children I think the benefits of mindfulness in particularly, people always look at the things like focus and attention can be enhanced. Um, Anxiety can be reduced. Depression can be reduced. Um, But again, there's more things coming second wave, almost like mindfulness-based strength practice, Mm -hmm. which again, Ryan Nemec has now got an eight-week course where mindfulness and strength are combined. So all the meditations are focused on things like that. Wow. Um, but also equally I think giving children an awareness of joyful moments equally is when things are going wrong is really important so savouring those like we talked about before Um, the thing I think it needs to be something introduced in schools but we have to be really careful of teaching it well so 
someone said before um, in a course that I was at, there's a real difference between mindfulness or meditation practice and mindful activities. So, you know, you go everywhere and you see the mindful colouring in books, which is a lovely practice for people. Um, the glitter jars that we have in school, you know, you shake the glitter jar and they watch it settle. And mm. these are things that they can do. But I find those really valuable for teaching young children because you can't teach a five-year-old how to have mindful practice. You know, yeah. you've got to start with the small activities. Um, and then I think in time, of course, their practice grows the same way as we start as adults. It'll maybe be five or 10 minutes and then we throw ourselves into a course and it can be tough, you know. So I think for schools, there's got to be proper training for teachers so that they're comfortable enough to practice it themselves and also introduce it to the children because then there won't be any blurred lines about what mindfulness actually is. Mm. Um, and also guided meditations. You can find lots of those on the internet. Um, that's part of the reason why I started the website and made my website um was to have a place that teachers could go to find things like this. So I have some really short meditations on there. I've got some in Arabic as well. The lovely Arabic teacher in my school, Miss Dalia, recorded them for me. And that's to help teachers that don't feel confident but want to have mindfulness or meditation in their classes. And they're only two or three minutes, but they can press play and then they can enjoy them as well rather than, you know, leading it so they can have a few moments to themselves. So I think... Um, despite all the other benefits we talked about like concentration and focus and being still and checking in with your emotions and things um, it's also gifting the children the knowledge of what meditation is and then being part of their journey of growing into an adult that's experienced that all throughout their education system and again that's what I think you know imagine an adult that's been in an education system like that. Yeah, and I think now when it comes to children growing up, there's so many distractions in their life compared to what mm. we had growing up, for instance. Yeah. I don't want to make myself sound old, but like <laughs> I grew up playing football and tennis on the street. Yeah, of and, course. And that was really it. Now they're surrounded by everything possible, mm -hmm. whether it's technology or not. But I think that practices like these are now becoming increasingly important for one, yeah, concentration and, and, um, and, basically being able to focus on mm -hmm. on the task at hand. So that's actually something else, you know, you think about, and I'm so guilty of this myself. My phone is never out of my hand, you know, mm. I've always got, and I work really hard at putting that phone down at a certain time and not looking at it. And you know yourself, you think, oh, maybe I'll just check for yeah. five minutes. But, you know, and I think when I walk around the mall or in a cafe or whatever, you look at how many grown-ups are on their phone while their children are there. So something actually that's so valuable and I'll carry it with me for a long time. Um, in Australia, Martin Seligman was doing his talk with his wife, Mandy, and he said, we live in an age of material prosperity, but emotional poverty. Mm. And well said. Yeah, and the statistics just now, if you look on the World Health Organization, the statistics are terrifying, you know, about what will be in future with a mental health crisis if we don't start looking after minds, bodies and souls, you know. Um, so when I think about what he said, and the real thing, his wife actually for the first time did a talk and she doesn't normally do that. So her message was, you know, we really have to bolster and buffer relationships we are at a point now in humanity or the epoch as Martin Seligman called it where relationships and human connection is now key and fundamental to the future yeah. you know and I look at technology and I think of course I'm delighted for it because my mum and dad live in Scotland and I can't that's the only way I can speak to them is over Skype or you know and over technology over the phone um but when you think about how connection can actually dwindle through social media and technology, you know, long gone are the days where you would walk around to your friend's house and ring the bell yeah. and say, do you want to go for a coffee? So yeah, you still meet for coffee and things, but you know, imagine technology was gone for a day, the world would fall down. So I think relationships and connection is so important and we need to teach children about this too. And, and that brings me to this question, which I've been dying to ask you. Mm. When it comes to improving connection between, let's talk about between adults for now, mm -hmm. because we have such an issue with, with our phones. Mm -hmm. Like I have a timer on my phone. 
that tells me when I should get off Instagram. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> I've got it's, to see. it's come to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's embarrassing to admit it, but it's true. Yeah, but you wouldn't be the only one. Yeah, you I know, that's the, only the thing. One. And if people <laughs> yeah. do suffer from spending too much time on Instagram, I suggest you get the timer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how do we how do we go about improving connection with mm. each other? And and basically and and you know the it comes down to, you know, when we have dinner with each other, like, how do we put down our phones? And mm. How do we really have a conversation with each other? Like, do you have any methods that you can um, share? Well, it's funny because it's one of those things that I do have ideas and I do have suggestions, but then I still work on them myself. You know, yeah. I'm not able to do it wholly yet. I'm still working on it. And it's something I think a lot about. But I've been thinking about this recently. And I think where to start is just real space and time for human connection and I mean with every interaction that you have you know when you think about autopilot when you go to the supermarket when you come to the work hi how you doing yeah yeah fine how are you yeah fine you don't actually know if that person's fine or not so for me when you think about those really small interactions in the supermarket and the lady says hi and you look at them square in the eye and say hi how are you today you know and it's just something so small but it's been aware of those things you know and I'm guilty of it too of course we all have all got busy lives but it's almost like take the busyness out you know and actually make measured conscious decisions to enhance connection even if it's just one a day and that's something I've been trying to do is you know security guards in work or the people in my building and the elevator have a real eye contact real how are you and really mean it you know I think that's maybe somewhere to start and then of course with closer friends and closer families sorry with your family it's like almost again making the conscious choice why don't we just put our phones away why don't we put them in the other room for an hour and let's just talk? Let's have no technology or, um, you know, like Earth Hour. I don't, it was a few months back. And for me, it was the nicest hour with my friends that were there. And we had candles on and that was it. And we just talked and I thought, gosh, this is what it used to be like, yeah. you know, and it was lovely. So I think that would be my main suggestion is consciously make an effort to make space for connection day to day. Start small. Um, and see where it takes you. I still don't know where I'll end up practicing this way day to day, but it's definitely something now I've noticed the feeling that you have even when you speak to someone new and, you know, really make an effort to make a genuine, sincere connection with someone as another being, you know, sitting across from you or walking past you. Mm. So I think the world needs more of that. And would that advice also be transferred to uh, parents with their children or would you kind of have a different way of viewing that? Um, see, it's hard because I'm not a parent myself. Um, I think I get a nice insight into that parent-child relationship, you know, being a teacher because obviously I get to be around children all day and I meet them with parents and things. Um, and, you know, a lot of my friends are parents and I look at their relationships and the connection that they have and there is a time, you know, they don't know where their phone is half the time because they've got toddlers running around so it's very different. But I do think it would always be important and I actually thinking about it myself as a child with my mother, you know, she says, gosh, you're always on your phone. What are you looking at on your yeah. phone? And I think, gosh, when I'm here especially and she's in Scotland and I think... Those moments are precious, you yeah. know, even if you are watching the telly together or some trashy show, that's important to her. And if you're looking at your phone and scrolling on things, you'll never remember an hour later, you know, is that really important? No, what's important is the time and space with your mum. So I think as a child to, you know, my mum, it's important for me to remember how important that is to her. So equally, I imagine as a parent to your child, those moments are so precious. Mm. So it's just being present. That's a great way yeah. of looking at it. What's funny is, is that my parents are on their phones now more than, oh, really? more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I know the modern world. <laughs> I know. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask before is, uh, I suppose you read a lot, which mm. uh, which I can gather. Are there, initially I was going to ask, are there any books you'd recommend people to read when it comes to positive psychology? But mm -hmm. I also want to ask, are there books people can read, like books that have really changed 
your life or your mind around how important all the things we discussed today are in terms of mindfulness and compassion mm. and all these sort of things because you know this is the forever student we're very passionate about learning and i think mm-hmm. we want to make it uh, sort of a regular question now of asking asking our guests on on what they could recommend for mm-hmm. for our listeners to read okay so positive psychology i think martin seligman's book called flourish it's mm-hmm. a really lovely one it's just almost like a crash course of you know all things positive psychology and there's really lovely like interventions you can do in there for yourself to increase your overall well-being through means of things like gratitude um so that's a lovely book that i would always recommend um one of the first books that i ever read on mindfulness was ruby wax a sane new world so she's an american lady um that's based in the uk and she's a comedian so what made her book brilliant for me is it was just really funny <laughs> you know she talked about Easy trying to yeah and like trying to talk about the chaotic mind and catastrophizing and throwing a dinner party but two minutes before the guests arrive she's on the computer trying to order a lamp while painting her nails you know and it's just this <laughs> chaos and it made so much sense to me but she also experienced depression in her own life um decided she wanted to find out how her mind worked so she went to oxford and did the masters in mindfulness so she talks about the science in a really lovely way that makes it so clear and easy to understand so that was the first bite for me i thought gosh this stuff is fascinating so that's a book i would really recommend and subsequently she's had two books since one called frazzled which talks a little bit about how to start practicing mindfulness um, and the next one, which I haven't read yet, but I've got it on my bookshelf, is How to Be Human. So I would always recommend her books are pretty good. Um, Dan Harris, he's um, a news anchor on ABC yeah, in America. Have you heard of him? Um, his second book is called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. Um, yes. And his first book, 10% Happier, I loved it because, again, a whole other life to mine, you know, experiences I couldn't imagine. Um, and I think it was something like all the war zones he'd been reporting in and sent him into a spiral of like drugs and alcohol. And eventually he had a um, panic attack live on primetime TV with millions of Americans watching. Um, so reading about his journey is unreal. You know, it's just amazing to see how meditation has changed his life. Mm. Um, and also in a way that's ex- explains how it's not airy-fairy and you know twinkly music behind you when you walk around and it clears up a lot of misconceptions so that's a really good one um but yeah this would probably be my main recommendations yeah Yeah. so before i get to my last question Mm -hmm. i wanted to ask where people can find you online because i know you have your blog so if you could Mm -hmm. share that link because i went through it and i thought it was fascinating because you have you have quite a few blog posts on there, which which are very much written from your point of view, mm-hmm. and then um, and then what I really enjoyed were the guided meditations. Okay, yeah, good. <laughs> really, really cool. But Thank could you, you give us the link? Yeah, it's um, www.mindfulteachinguae.com, um, and also mindful Miss Green on Instagram, mindful Miss G on Twitter, mindful Miss Green on Facebook. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so the last question of the day is what's your long-term goal? So we've, we've, we've spoken about so many different things today, but I want to know what's the dream? Okay, the dream for me, you know, of course, as a teacher, you're always going to feel like you want to change the world for children, you know. But the dream for me at the moment is being part of a team or group or collective, you know, of people here in Dubai and the UAE. I want to be one of the people that start changing education for the better in terms of bringing well-being, positive psychology practices for all children. It shouldn't just be, you know, in the schools where people are interested in it. It should be accessible for all children. So I want to be part of that. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to meeting more people that are already doing things in education that I just haven't met yet. So uh, that's why I'm always keen to meet new people and, you know, connect on social media because I think together, like we're talking about positive psychology, other people matter. And together, if we all, you know, hold hands in this, we can change it, you know. And along the KHDA are so excited about well-being promote it so much that you know i'm excited for the things to come and for me the dream has been a big part of that 
So for all the listeners out there, if you're a teacher, if you're in education, or you're simply willing to help, you know, please reach out to Miss Green. <laughs> please reach out to us, and uh, and together, hopefully, we can support her on a mission to uh, to fulfilling your purpose. Essentially, let's call it that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed being here. Thanks no, really, so much. it was such a great conversation. And I think um, it's it's very different from what we've done in the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, especially when it comes to parents who are listening or mm-hmm. people who are afraid to take that first step to speaking to someone else or complimenting them or mm-hmm. uh, overcoming fear or vulnerability. I think there's some really great lessons in terms of what you've what you've shared with us today. So oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And to everyone else, uh, I hope you guys learned a tremendous amount as uh, as did I. And we'll see you next week. We spoke to the wonderful teacher, Ashley today and learned so much about what we can teach the kids, but also to adults. We spoke about adding mindfulness and mental well-being into the lives of children at school. How? Begin with teachers. As Ashley said, you can't give from an empty cup. Educate them around mindfulness, start incorporating this into their life, and let them be living examples for their students. Resilience, mental toughness, stress reduction, kindness, compassion. These are all things children learn when there are mindfulness programs implemented in schools. When you provide them with these tools at such an early age, they're bound to put them to good use throughout their lives and flourish. We as adults go through stressful times, but so do kids. Little tricks like deep breathing and loving kindness practices make such a big difference when we go through hard times. And they work for kids too. Not just that. When participating in well-being programs, it's shown that children's grades improve. There was so much more covered in this episode. So I highly recommend you reach out to Ashley to learn more about her character strength cards and how to use them. But also on how to live a more fulfilled, kind, and compassionate life. Check out mindfulnessteachinguae.com to learn more. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Forever Student episode. This show is for you, me, and all of us to learn and grow from. If you enjoyed this, please rate the podcast, comment and share with anyone that you believe would benefit from listening to this. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out to me at Forever Student Show across all social media platforms. Or you can drop us an email at foreverstudent at dukanmedia.com. My name is Stefan Miller, and this podcast is brought to you by Dukan Media. Thank you all, and have a great week. 